0: they're also
1: playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000
0: feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life.
1: No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
2: 18 plus. It's time for the Had radio show. Had radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit dot com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook.
0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen. On this first day of October two thousand and fourteen. Uh, and we're here with our co host, uh, Jay Basser and uh Stretcher technician, stretching out of Arkansas there. Uh, John's out of Kentucky, and uh, this is Gerald Cook. I'm out of uh, Missouri, so Uh, we were to have a guest on here, uh, uh, Michael Reagan. Hope we didn't get our wires crossed up with him. But uh, he should be popping in here any time. We'll... Bring him on in when we come in. How are you doing today, John?
2: I'm doing pretty good, girl. How's everybody doing today?
0: Well, i doing pretty good. Pretty good. It's uh, clouding up here in Missouri. And, uh, but, uh, it, uh, don't look too bad out there. My grass is still growing. How's yours?
2: Yeah, it's still green.
0: <laughs> yeah. well we've had uh, I just got an email, got an email. here about uh, uh, where they'd caught some joker down there in uh, Houston Texas uh, modifying uh, people's claims uh, veterans claim, claims uh, uh, they're working in the regional office Houston and they're investigating that. sounds like he, like he messed up uh, quite a few claims.
2: I didn't see that. Where'd you, where'd you get that email at? Uh,
0: Claude sent it to me.
2: Okay. I'll,
0: I'll send it uh, a copy of it. Uh, I'll send you the link. Uh, uh, but uh, that looked pretty interesting. He was doing something to them, making them look like they were completed uh, and uh falsifying a lot of documents, you know a lot of stuff dealing with claims. They're gonna have to find a a uh, uh I know around the shop we used to call them foolproof yep uh, uh, I man you had them when you dealt with automobiles uh, working there at the factory. Uh, there's, you know, they had fixtures that were full. If you couldn't load the parts in there backwards or sideways or any which way, and they're going to have to do something like that with this claim system, uh, because it's uh, been abused uh, way too much, and whether it's accidental or on purpose, or it, it don't matter. They've been abused, and, and they're not done right. And uh, they have to have a set of uh, different means of monitoring them as it goes through the process.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I don't know what that's going to take, because I don't know their process. Uh, to me, it just looks elder skelter. Add had something else. But anyway, uh, let see here. That's what's going on down there in Texas. There's
2: something bad wrong.
0: Something bad is wrong, yeah. Yep,
2: there's something bad wrong.
0: Would have a set rules, set a set of rules. My land. How long they been doing this? Uh, they have been doing this a long time.
2: They're just uh, a couple of years.
0: Just a couple of years. years. Yeah, yeah. But they ought to have it figured out. But now, uh, the proper procedure in, in which uh, the flow of papers should be going.
3: Yep. And
0: uh, of course, each claim they want to treat. But first of all, I think that's a mistake. I think you ought to treat them more in groups uh, uh, such as, you know, like your Agent Orange veterans. If if they were all at a certain location, then it's obviously they were all exposed uh, uh, on Agent Orange. But how long did it take them and And even now uh, some of them uh are having trouble with age age clients.
2: yeah that's true
0: so that's true uh, uh, I don't know hmm.
2: trying to find out it. already
0: um, uh, you did oh. Let me go back here to my email. I hope I don't lose you. Here we go to emails. And uh, yeah, that was uh, quite a story there in Texas. And I hope I get it resolved quickly. Oh, there. It sounds like mine might be mine. Uh-oh. Am I still on the air? Yes. Yep. <laughs> trying to go to my email here, if I can get this computer contraption to go. But, uh... Well, anyway, that was in the Houston B.A., so that that's a major B.A. down there, uh, the regional office. Uh, I think they have one in Waco also. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: yes, them two are uh, at the bottom of the echelon when it comes to claims.
0: Yeah.
2: They've always had issues.
0: Yeah, they have. Well, they have had. Actually, you're right. Uh, That's one of the worst uh, in the country, uh, Houston. Yeah, it's a strange
2: situation. situation.
0: Now, now, I don't know. uh, Where's your your nearest uh, uh, regional office, John?
2: Uh, Mine's in
0: Louisville. Oh, Louisville.
2: Mm-hmm. so how far yeah. is that from you about 75 miles 75 miles yep mm-hmm. then we've got Huntington that's about 90 miles the other way oh yeah. you got
0: it come. yeah mine's yeah. about
2: 400
0: miles
2: actually I transferred my claim to Huntington and that's a and pretty good move on their part you think so that was Asian, a good move? Yeah, Huntington's a small, smaller regional office they have that had oh. a much population and they got things done pretty quick. Oh, that would and, make a
0: difference, I'm
2: sure. Yeah. So, it's, uh, you know, it's a. I'm trying to. I like to find that story because I want to see what's going on in Houston. What day did you send an email to him, Gerald? (laughs) (laughs) Like this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they well, actually got uh, us there, he can sing
4: us a song. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I thought about that, but I couldn't think of nothing to say. You couldn't think of nothing to say. Well, well okay,
0: got your
2: tongue.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, here we
0: go. That looks funny. It? I can't find it either. Oh, I ain't seen it yet. I gotta get to it. I'm trying to get to it. See if I can find it. Okay. Get... My
2: computer
0: won't work
2: reach out and touch oh. him. Touch my computer.
4: Fix it. Fix it. Yeah, what?
0: Oh, they have been having a lot of winds there. haven't. I've noticed.
2: Yeah. You need his phone number, Drew?
0: Yeah, I do. Oh, if, uh, wait. Uh, yeah, I think I can oh. do that. Okay. okay. Okay, give it. Uh, 425.
2: 525. Okay, just
0: a second. I get it. Right. Four four two 745. 425. Two
2: five. Four, no, seven four five four five. Seven
0: four
2: five. up this five, morning. Seven, four, five, three,
0: one, seven, oh. Okay. Yep. I'll be right back. Right. I think uh, I hope that's
2: <laughs> yeah, stretch. Did you post information on hand about that uh, Houston fiasco? Uh,
4: no, I don't see it. I'm looking right now. I Don't see it anywhere. I'd
2: like to find that bad
4: boy. I posted a a bug a bug from Arkansas here. It looks like a flying scorpion. I saw that. Jeez oh, oh man. What a nasty looking sucker that is. Yes. My daughter says they're all over the place. I'm going, What the heck? Must have what been a scorpion meter with a wasp or something. I don't know. Nasty looking bug. Tell don't know what it is.
2: There's a bullet going on right now about that space a travel for disabled veterans. Did you see that?
4: Oh yeah, I just now saw that.
2: So this last year's defense authorization authorization bill uh, gave uh, gave 100% disabled veterans the right to fly space a travel.
4: Oh really?
2: But uh, somebody, uh, I guess Hagel's supposed to implement the program. Somebody's swippin'
0: it. His, his uh, uh, alarm didn't go off. He said he'll be here in two minutes. Okay. <laughs> so it wasn't something
2: I would feel bad. I didn't feel good mm. bad. Now, we're but it, let's finish with what uh, saying. It uh, looks like uh, they're trying to hoodoo it, even though it was passed by Congress and signed by the president.
0: Oh yeah,
2: as Space A travel issue? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and why um, do they they do that? Is well, that would be a money matter, wouldn't it?
2: No, not really, not really.
0: It, it uh, but you know, if it's passed by Congress, signed by the president, it's a law.
2: Well, you know how they manipulate stuff. So somebody's well, yeah. manipulating something.
4: Well, Hagel's just yeah. kind of slow. Mm-hmm. He's kind of slow with everything.
2: Yeah, he must worked for the VA. VA yeah. before,
4: before.
2: Yeah, some aspect.
4: Maybe he's working on a new job.
2: I don't know. He likes to cut stuff. So maybe maybe he's making saw blades. <laughs> no. I uh, don't know. If you guys are interested read a topic and had it and go ahead and call your congressman senator up and say, Hey, what's going on with this? You know, uh somebody's trying to uh, play some games or something or be funny or about be, it, you know. That's gotta stop.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, I don't know. Uh if something's signed into law it should be passed.
0: It, it should become a law, absolutely.
2: Yeah, that's right. I know they're uh, interested in the uh, actual, you know, vets that are really disabled. You know, as far as amputees and paraplegics and quad things like that, it'd be difficult to fly. You know, but there's a lot of walkie-talkies that I can fly.
0: Yeah.
4: Yeah says uh other non uniform personnel who never served. Oh, uh, that's just mm-hmm. uh, about it too. That's the way it is. Yeah, so it's a it's a pain
2: in the butt. And veterans fly a lot, you know, and travel a little bit, you know, that that's a benefit for them.
0: Well yeah it is. Uh uh they st- they
2: still have fly standby, don't they? They can't fly at all until they get this long law- until they get this law written. Oh! They can't even get in the
0: wheel well and
2: go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't get in the wheel well, folks.
0: <laughs>
4: I got to roll my wheelchair all the way over to Oklahoma City though, so that's a long way to roll. Yeah,
2: that's yeah. a long way to go. Well, if you're in a pickle or something like, hey, you know, in you need to get somewhere. That's the best thing. You know, that's a good avenue to go.
4: Oh, I have to take a helicopter over there.
2: Oh, okay. Stretch, <laughs> I'm sure. You get a place to land one, don't you? You got, you got a spread out there. You can land one.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And a place where they land right across the street from you. I never took it. They got before. a poke.
2: Got a postage stamp, so it's hard to land one. I don't think these trees would be too kind to the rotors.
0: No, (laughs) they don't like rotors. They don't
2: like rotors. I was checking on that issue, so maybe we'll do a little digging and see what uh, what they're doing. So somebody's manipulating something somewhere.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah,
0: folks that's, a, that's a heck of a deal. Wasn't there something else uh, that they'd pull, too? It wasn't only that, it was something else, I think.
4: Morning, Mike.
1: How are you? Are you? I'm here. Oh, here.
0: Wow. I made it. How you doing, Mike?
1: Well, I'm awake. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: usually, I was, don't get up. Don't, you know, usually I'm up so early in the morning that I'm ready for anything. But this morning, I fortunately and unfortunately, I slept in. Yeah.
0: Well, sometimes it's good to sleep in.
1: Well, I'm usually up at three o'clock doing these pictures, and I'm just, uh,
3: <coughs>
1: you know, I have to. I have a trip to the airport this morning, so I didn't plan on a, starting a portrait. And uh, because of that, I slept in. Totally missed your call. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody.
0: That's all right. We waited on you.
1: I'm glad you did.
0: Uh, <coughs> I got to be that that. Uh, uh, video you sent, that's quite a deal. That's quite a deal, really <coughs> touching, touching video. Uh, uh, I posted that there on Had It.
1: Uh. I think the thing that's interesting about that is uh, my project has now gone full circle. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, it, um, you want me to tell you how that all came about?
0: Yeah, I'll go right ahead.
1: I got a request, or received a request, I guess it was in February of this year, to do a drawing of a lieutenant who died in Vietnam. His name was Norman Lane. And it came from a professor down at Wake Forest University, who's a friend of his. And while I was looking at the request, I kept thinking that they said Norman Lane was with Kilo 3-4, which was the group I was with. But honestly I had never heard of Norman Lane. And he'd also told me he died at a firefight we had at Quezon, but Kilo three four wasn't at Quezon at that time. We were at Cam Lo, so there was a number of things that were confusing. So what I did was uh called some friends of mine around the country that were with us during that time. I'm very close to my platoon commander and my corpsman And I said, Have you guys ever heard of Norman Lane? and they hadn't either and i said well i have a request and we need to research it to be sure this is a real thing and so we did that and while we were doing it i asked these guys i said can somebody please research out who our company driver was because i held him as he died and um i said i i have his last words and if you know maybe we can find somebody that in his his family and maybe i can do his portrait and give them those last words cuz i think it might be important well, my corman told me right away, it was Vincent Santanello, and I said, how do you know that, Doc? And he said, because I've been wearing his bracelet for 25 years. And uh, so I had Vincent's name, and ABC, a few weeks earlier, had done a piece on me, and uh, so I called the person that worked with me at ABC, and I gave him the name, and I said, I think he lives in New York somewhere, his family does, can you find somebody? And he found an aunt, or no, he found a brother, a nephew, and a niece. And I thought, how cool. And I said, well, I'll get in touch with him. And he says, no, I already have. The ABC guy did. He said, I've told him who you are and what you're doing. And uh, he said, they'll be getting in touch with you. In fact, his nephew, whose name is Ralph Morales, um, Vinny's sister, it's Ralph's mother, is actually doing a book on Vinny and the problem was they hadn't talked to anybody who had been with them in the war and you know and when I told him about who you were and what you had he says they're going to be calling you and so Vinny called me or I mean Ralph called me and we talked for a long time and then I told him that we were having this event on April 19th which is what you saw in the video uh-huh. and I said can you come out and he says well sure I said I want to present you Vinny's portrait like I've done for 4000 other families and I said, plus, I want to give you Vinny's last words. So he came out. We had a huge event, as you saw in the video. It's a beautiful video. If anybody gets a chance to watch it, it's incredible. Big time. It was huge for me. And uh, I got to spend two days with Ralph prior to the event. And what I explained to Ralph was, Vinny's last words were, he just looked up at me, he was pretty shattered, his body. And even though we were all trying to keep him alive, my two corpsmen and me and a couple other guys and we were trying to hold them together Um, he just looked up at me he wasn't feeling any pain it was just too much trauma and he said Mike I just want to go home and he closed his eyes and died and um, of course I wasn't old enough at the time to understand he was going home and uh, so on the 19th we had our event and Ralph and I had become pretty close friends by then and Ralph, in the video, actually reads the letter that Ralph that Vinnie wrote on the 28th of March. He died on the 28th. It was the first the first casualties of a two-day firefight we had over there at Cam Lowell. And the blood, Vinny's blood, is even on the letter because it was written that morning before he came up to where we were at and died. And I said to him, I said, these are your your uncle's last words, and here's his portrait, and I hope this starts the journey that he said he wanted to take 46 years ago. It was pretty incredible. I had a lot of Marines show up. I have some friends in the that are officers, current active duty, and they all wore their dress blues, and we wanted, I wanted to make sure that Ralph knew how really important Vinny was. The um, reason I joined the Marine Corps when I did was because Smaller unit, and we really—it's not that everybody doesn't care about each other. It's just that in the Marines, you seem to continuously care about each other. It's just something that they teach us, I guess. And uh, so, when I made my call, everybody showed up. And uh, but as I've told everybody, what that means to me is that the project of doing fallen hero portraits around the world that I've been doing now for over ten years—and like I said, four thousand of them. Um, has come full circle and I was able to bring a young man home that I held a friend of mine um, and begin his journey home so many years later that's what the video is about
0: well I know it's a very touching video and uh, and, and it, it just reflects on the uh, type of work that you've been doing I I just can't imagine the stress sometimes that you uh, you get under, uh, doing some of these portraits because, especially you 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 know you you research uh, the individual and, uh, and the veteran that you're doing and you know something about. Uh, how the incident happened and this and that. that, that I know uh,
1: them personally. You know that. I've, we've talked before. Yeah, you know, their families yeah. send me all this information, and I talk to their moms or their wives, dads. I read their diaries. It's interesting to read a diary written by a soldier who's spent nine or ten months in Iraq, which I've done, and uh, and then know they've died. And I think the problem is is that, uh, you know, doing you know, I don't know if people understand this because, it's sec it's second it's second to what is actually going on but it's hard to do the drawings every time because it's you know i love these people i get to know them so well and yet i never got to know them you know i know all about them i know about the people that loved them i know who they were and what they did in high school and or college and their kids i know all their kids and so when i'm spending that time drawing their portraits um i'm actually talking to them and uh you know, I get, I'm get. i saying goodbye. You know, it's funny, when I thought about this quite a bit. You know, most of the time when we're fortunate enough to meet somebody, and, you know, and to be honest with you, I'm drawing some pretty incredible people, if you know what I mean. Yeah. When you meet somebody, there's the opportunity to be their friend for a while and to know more and share more with them. Me, I get to meet somebody who's already gone, and uh, there's an incredible spiritual part to this project obviously i've talked to you before about that and so i really do believe i'm with the person or part of the person's spirit when i'm working and uh the problem is when i'm done with the drawing when i sign my name i have to say goodbye and i don't get to revisit them i the information i carry with me is what i've learned and whatever i may have experienced while i did the per the portrait and uh i do that every day um, and it's somebody new every day, and I'm, you know, I just finished one the other day. That what day is today? Today's Wednesday. It arrived yesterday, down at Twenty Nine Palms of a young Marine who just died in the war, and his family's coming to their Twenty Nine Palms to pick up their portrait. So it's like all of a sudden, you know, um, people come into my life, and the way I work, and the amount of time I spend, I never forget them, but I. I have this piece where I realize um, they're not with us anymore. You know, I've sent you those posters, Gerald. Yes. When you look into the faces of those posters, what I hope you realize, and I said this to you when I sent them to you, when you look into the eyes of the people that you're peering into those posters, the thing to remember is that they're just like you and me and everybody else who may be listening um they have a past they are people they've done great things they these are wonderful human beings it's amazing how, how wonderful they are but they don't have a future and the families that they left behind and the kids and the wives and the husbands or the wives and the moms and the husbands dads etc um are all trying to learn how to live without them you know my experience with these people is a couple hours plus five-hour drawing. Their experience has been an entire life, you know, up to that point. But now they have to, you know, some of them to get through almost have to pretend they didn't exist, which is impossible to do. So I draw these portraits and I try and make sure that I put everything I can into them. You know, it's funny, I just finished a portrait just just came to mind. I just finished a portrait for a young man who's a special forces guy down in North Carolina. He did 4 tours. Just, you know, it's important for me to tell you this story because it's important for people that are listening to this to understand what this is about. He served 4 tours in the war, special forces guy. He did some incredible stuff. Came home, met the, you know, was able to marry the woman of his dreams. You know, his life was, you know, he's starting to turn his life away from being a warrior, you know what I mean? And one morning, he and his wife were having breakfast, and she died in front of him. Just aneurysm. And so what I did was, um, I got a call from a friend of mine in Minnesota. She's a really good friend, and she said, could you draw his wife for him? Well, and I don't usually do that. I usually, you know, my portraits are time-consuming, and they're all free, and so I usually reserve them just for the soldiers that have died, but this young man, you know, he went through it all and survived, and then he came home, and his whole life died in front of him, so I did his portrait, he got it this week, I heard from the person who requested it, and he said it's wonderful, because now he can hang it on the wall, and at least he can look at her and touch her in a way that isn't the last thing he remembered when she was alive. When she died, so you know the portrait project's important, um, but but it does take a lot out of you. Um, I'm still doing my six mile walk every day, and um, you know just to just to kind of try and get my head back on my shoulders because tomorrow I got to do the same thing. Like I said today, I'm taking a little trip with my wife out to the airport, and then we'll visit some antique stores. I'm going to take the day off, um, which is actually quite pleasant. The idea of it is quite pleasant. That's why I slept so late, you know. Um, but normally it's 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm sitting with a soldier downstairs. And there is one sitting on my drawing board right now that I will be doing that with again tomorrow. A few of them, actually. And uh, But it's interesting. Um, I, somebody, Mark Twain said this, I think. He said, there's two times in your life that are important. The time when you're born... In the time, your reason, time, you understand why. Um, I understand why I was born, and this project, um, everything I've been doing up until then, all the portraits I did of celebrities, even my five years doing the portraits of the playmates with them, um, always leading me up to that day ten years ago when
3: uh, I made a
1: commitment to do portraits of all the soldiers that have died in the war free for their families as long as I'm asked to.
0: Well, I know I'm doing all the talking. Sorry. <laughs> it, uh, unfortunately it looks like it's gonna continue on for quite a while but uh, they don't seem to wanna to, uh, You and I
1: talked about this before. I you know I'm sadly there's a reality in this. You know, this isn't like any other war we've had. Where you have Nazi Germany and you have an enemy, where you have the Japanese and you have an enemy, where if you defeat them, they're actually defeated, and you know, and then we rebuild and they rebuild, and you know, you know that's it's not like that anymore.
0: No, no, it's a different situation now, and and how it how it ever got switched switched around as it has uh, is beyond my comprehension. But at any rate. Uh, um, it's it's a sad situation that there's going to be more and more uh, body bags come home. And, uh, uh, remember the
1: remember I mean you remember history. Remember the the crusades in history.
3: Yes, where, where
1: kings would just travel all over the known world at the time and try and take stuff and and impose their will and they just kill people who didn't believe them. Yeah. Right now we've got that same kind of thing going on and the problem is, as we saw in Oklahoma City this last week, um we you don't know where where the God I don't wanna I don't wanna say anything wrong You don't know where the enemy is anymore. And politically people are defining it even after it happens differently so that they don't even want to call him the enemy. Yeah. And so uh, what you've got is you've got a whole bunch of people. You know, I had I talked to a couple of generals. I've talked to a couple of generals during this project, and they all tell me the same thing. They say they don't know how. How do you? How does a war on terrorism end when the entire goal of the war is just to scare people?
0: Uh, well, unfortunately, it's not going to end anytime time soon. Uh, so uh, it's something. Uh, people's going to have to be on the the alert because it it appears as though it's coming here. It's already here uh, in the United States. And uh, that's just the way it's going to be.
1: Well, like I said, I'll be there for these families when they need me to be. Always Uh, going to be free, whatever they want me to do.
0: You, you've sure found your calling, Mike, and and I, for one, uh, have the greatest amount of respect for you because I know this is no simple uh, thing for you. I mean, even though you do it daily, uh, it's, uh, uh, it, it really uh, takes dedication and fortitude to March on because uh, this uh, this is a stressful situation. Although you are, uh, once you see how the family reacts, I can I can see where you get uh, you know your are well timed.
1: We have a um, I got a re- I gave a speech <coughs> in April uh, to a a group of people. And uh, there were some Polish-Americans in the group, military vets. And uh, one of them, his sister's in the Polish army. And so he said to me, he said, you know, there's 39 Polish fallen heroes that died with our Americans in in Iraq. And I said, yeah, I'd heard about that. And he said, would you do their portraits? And I said, well, I've been trying to get a hold of them to tell them that I would do that for them. And so what we're doing now is a letter has been sent to the Polish ambassador laying the whole thing out, all they have to do is put together the photographs and get them to me, which they're doing. We're going to do all the portraits. The Polish-Americans across the country are going to frame them all and get them to D.C., which will ship them all to Warsaw. And then in Warsaw, supposedly they're going to plan a large event and present the portraits to the families. as just a thank you, you know, as a remembrance like we're doing here. And so when I talk about the project, even though it's being done out of Edmonds, it really is international, and we really are, you know, trying to just, you know, you know, a person in Poland who lost somebody in the war fighting for you and me, Gerald, for us, yeah. um, is suffering just the same as an American. And, you know, and that's why four years ago I started doing those families in Great Britain and Canada for the same reason, Germany. In fact, it was funny, Dar Spiegel sent a, um reporter all the way from Germany to talk to me um for an interview uh, article they did in their magazine but i think the thing is is that what we're trying to do is we're just trying to reach out to individual families and uh, cuz we're never going to change what you know governments do project's not about politics um and just let them know we care you know I, and i i do believe this i'm not just talking for me i'm not telling them that i care i'm telling them that we care that's you and me and my wife, and actually people who may hear this interview who are, uh, I don't know, I'm speaking for us. I remember remember that story I told you about the first person I drew for Great Britain. Is Her mother, the dead soldier, was a young woman, and her mother called me, and her comment was, I have to ask a question. She says, why doesn't an American want to do anything free for a Brit? And she wasn't kidding. She was being very serious. And I told her, I said, it's not an American doing something free for a Brit. It's a Vietnam combat veteran who was fortunate enough to come home wanting to do this portrait for a family of a combat veteran who wasn't as fortunate. And she said, now I understand. And she allowed me, she says, now you can do my daughter's portrait. So what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to show these people that – Probably the worst time of their life. I can't imagine there being a worse time. Um, someone who doesn't know them but does care about what took place um, has decided to dedicate their life to helping them, and that's what we're trying to do.
3: That's a wonderful thing, uh, too.
1: Well,
2: hey, Mike, let's switch gears a little bit, uh, get the folks a rundown on how you got into into actually art to begin with you know, cool. i go back a few years and uh, let's kind of uh, <clears throat> turn the focus on because I, mean, I know you've done, uh, you've done any, anyone from presidents to world leaders to Hollywood actors. And, uh, you know, I just want the folks to know that, you know, you're not just some dude off the street started drawing pictures. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's for sure.
1: Well, when I was in Vietnam, I used to draw the guys that I was with. I was an infantry guy in Vietnam in sixty eight sixty eight And, uh... When I got home, I decided that that's what I wanted to do, and so art school was my deal, and I went to art school. And uh, when I got out of art school, I have got a job for the University of Washington, um, doing some of my art, doing some computer programming. I was, We were beginning a project called the Trademarks and Licensing Department, where we actually were licensing the marks for the University of Washington, started the collegiate licensing business and business the across the country. Yep. And uh and uh I was doing the logos for all the schools and so I at the same time wanted to make more money and didn't want to get out of my art so I started doing drawings for a dinner theater in Seattle called the Cirque Dinner Theater. And I got to meet a lot of celebrities. And I did that for about six years. And I came up with this little plan that since I'm sitting with these celebrities, I would do a drawing. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. And they would, and they would sign, sign a blank illustration, illustration board. For me. For me. And what and I would do is I would is do draw the right. portraits, and uh, we would give those boards to charity. So I started doing a lot of celebrity pictures. And uh, actually, the project started because of that, but I'll get to that in a minute. But during that time, I met a ton of celebrities. I actually got Johnny Mathis to sing the 12th of Never to my wife in a concert because the portrait that er earlier that day I'd presented was on his birthday, and I asked him to, and as a surprise, he did that for her. Stopped the whole concert and did that. Then I met with Harrison Ford, and um, that was incredible because he was in his tuxedo (laughs) when I was done with getting him to autograph the boards and present him his portrait, which, by the way, the one that we did for the charity that night sold for $10,000. Um, he and my wife got to old hands for a while, which she still talks about. But during that time period, I was the artist for the Playboy Playmates for five years. I had done portraits with President and First ladies, and uh, Gorbachev, Gorbachev, Menachem Begin, uh, Margaret Thatcher, uh, lots of celebrities. And uh, the idea of getting the blank illustrations boards signed was so popular that in two thousand three when they finally came to me at T V station one to do a piece on this project on the project of doing the celebrity portraits which was called Stairway to the Start of the Start. We had, raised, we had over raised over ten million dollars for uh, charities around the country. And we still do that. I'm still meeting a lot of country Western people, Sarah Evans and Alan Jackson and Martina and everybody. So I still do that work too when it's possible. It's just we do it less now because we don't have as much time because of the soldiers. But we still do it. In fact I'm doing some Seahawk work Seahawks. because we won the Super Bowl. I wanna cool. repeat that because we won the Super Bowl. <laughs> um Yeah. We um I'm doing a lot of drawings for them and uh I just received one this morning in this email when I sat down to get Gerald's phone number. So it's like I've been doing portraits forever. forever. I that I've worked with six presidents and first ladies, met four of them in person. So I've, I'm not the guy sitting around looking for something to do. It was kind of just the opposite. I'd been with the University of Washington 31 years, and to do this project I retired in 2005. Um, and I really did love my job. It was something that was hard to do, but the project became more important. And I'd opened a studio up near my home, right on the Puget Sound, looking right at the water. It was a gorgeous place. People would come in and say, how do you warrant having this place? And uh, I'd had it for about four years, but because this project is done all for free, I needed to save as much money as I could because it was having to go to this project, and we needed to close down my studio, which was really, really difficult because I always saw that as my safe place. You know, being a Vietnam veteran, having a safe place was important. And that was mine. Fine. But I gave those, places, those up places up to do this work. But um, like I said, I've done over 10,000 celebrity portraits prior to doing the 4,000 fallen heroes. And, uh, and uh, I don't know else to I don't say this. <laughs> yes. um, um, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. So, so <laughs> people, if you go out to my website, you can actually. There's two see, websites. There's two websites Michael, G. Michael Regan P. Artist Artist. dot com. Not you com. can see the art. But if you also go to the uh, yeah. Fallen Hero Portrait, Portrait Project, I actually have a actually, video have a that guess. was done in 2003. It's the video that actually started all this when they did the piece on the 10 million dollars for charity that I raised and all the portraits for celebrities. They did a really cool five-minute piece that actually NBC sent around the country, which is why I'm doing this portrait now, because that's the first one a Gold Star wife had seen. But that piece, even though it doesn't talk about the Fallen Hero Portrait Project, does talk about everything else. They actually interviewed me for seven hours for a five-minute news piece. And in that piece I mentioned how I've done the portrait of six presidents, a pope, now a saint by the way i mean i how many people can claim the the idea that they actually did the portrait of a saint so i have and then six or 137 playboy playmates that comment by the way turned the local nbc piece in 2003 to a national piece because i think it was just nasty enough you know (laughs) but um that's how it got started and uh but I've been an artist for over 50 years. Um, it's it's interesting. I, there's no way to say this other than just say it this way. Um, they always told me when I got out of art school, this is what they tell you, I was one of the best artists in art school. That's what they told me. They said, except that you now need to build a reputation. It's going to take you about 10 years to get a reputation where art directors and ad agencies and people are going to know you exist and allow you to compete with all the other artists which was true, and uh, and I loved it because I, I was able... He says, you have to be patient, and I was patient, and I worked hard, and I got to that place where people were paying me quite a bit of money. Let me just say that the year before I began the project, the Fallen Hero Project, I was paid a large amount of money to do a portrait of uh, Edgar Martinez, a very large amount of money, and it was the money that we used to capitalize the Fallen Hero Project... But I was when people wanted the uh sports stuff or wanted a portrait done, I was the person they called when I began this project in two thousand five and I mean this that was the beginning of the process for me to disappear because as I was doing more and more free art and less and less of the commercial art um it doesn't take ten years for you for people to forget you are around, and so what's happened is is that even though I have some clients who've stuck with me, mostly because they know what I'm doing, they know where I went. Um, most of the people I worked with don't know I exist anymore. I as far as art goes, and uh, it's a little frustrating. It's a little you know sometimes you know when you do something that's so you, which art is me, and you realize that a decision you made is taking you there. Um you also have to understand that the decision was very very important to take me there and so what I did was how else can I say this I gave it all up to do this It's hard yeah, to it's yeah, hard work. to be working and making money drill it's hard to be doing that and then to give now, it up You're to working
0: on, on donations now, aren't you, uh, Mike?
1: Well, and I don't make any money from that either. The fa- the Fallen Hero project is a 501c3 and we depend on donations. Uh-huh. <clears throat> we depend on them. We have no corporate support. Fortunately, the VFW as did 2 years ago give me a 3-year grant. This will be the last year we get a check from them. But it's like um but even then, no one involved in the project, even me, gets paid from the uh, work. No one makes a penny. Um, the accountants are all volunteer. The attorney that I have is all volunteer. Everybody associated, my board, everybody is all volunteer. And fortunately for me, uh, Statler, the Statler Pencil Company in Germany makes sure I have pencils. They've told me a long time ago that I'll never have to buy another pencil, which I haven't had. I just have to call them. And then the Crescent Cardboard Company of the United States, my Crescent Illustration Board, they've told me the same thing. So we've gotten some people like that to support us. But as far as finances go, we totally depend on people donating. Yep, that's a Good deal. But, you know, I love these people. I you know, I don't know how else to explain it. You know, I, I had a family one time write me a letter, and she says, Mike, you know, we love you. We believe we don't need to know somebody to love them, and we love you. And I wrote her back, and I said, the work I'm doing is, Out of love, and I don't know any of the people I'm drawing.
2: All right, you say you're retired from the University of Washington, right?
1: 2005.
2: Okay, now what's your VA status? I know you're a Vietnam vet and everything. Do you you actually go to the VA yourself for care, or I mean, I know you probably have pretty good insurance
4: and have. I
1: belong uh, to. uh, Well, I I belong to the VFW and the American Legion, and the Knights of Columbus. You know, and uh, so. I have I have access to all that stuff, of course, but I also mm-hmm. am a state employee, and uh, mm-hmm. when I retired, I was able to insure my family and me through the state insurance, um, the state employee insurance company, which is as good as it's incredible. So I'm mm-hmm. oh, I'm, i have you know, I'm, I'm taken care of. <laughs> so is my family. Okay, so we're all good.
2: That's good. I just wanted to know, you know, if you were, you know, actually involved with the VA itself, if, you know, because, I mean, there's a lot of folks out there that are, you know, in basically your shoes in Vietnam that, you know, went through what you went through. And a lot of them, you know, have a lot of issues and stuff with that. So, you know, it's uh, the VA is there
1: for people if they need to use it, you know, so. I want to be sure you understand something. I mean, are you Vietnam? No, I'm post-Vietnam. Well, I'll tell you something about Vietnam vets. And I know you've heard this before because you guys have interviewed a lot of Vietnam guys. When we came back, um, we were treated very poorly and we were very angry. I remember that. uh, You know, when you walk into a a VFW hall or an American Legion hall back then and they wouldn't allow you to have a drink because you weren't a real veteran, we became even angrier. There's a reason why the Vietnam Veterans of America exists. It's because we were shunned by everybody else. Yes. So getting, you know, and I'm a big VFW guy because they've done a lot for this project. But I see them do a lot for a lot of people. So I, I broke, you know, I'm a member of those groups because of this project because they they called me and they said, you know, you know, we're sorry for what we did to everybody back then, and but we're fixing it. You know, Vietnam veterans are now running it, so it's like. We understand, and so I became a part of it. My post-8870 in Edmonds, Washington, is mostly Vietnam guys, but there's some Korean World War II guys, and they're all incredible. Okay, it's incredible. And I've gotten some of my my, um, Vietnam guys to join, but I think the problem was is that we came home wanting to come home, and we weren't allowed to, and not just by the people of the country, or a lot of them, or even not a lot of them, just the noisiest ones of them. But we actually had our groups, our, our Korea veterans and our World War II veterans who were a part of the VFW turn their backs on us, and it created a lot of anger. And uh, I think what you're running into with Vietnam veterans nowadays who don't join the VFW, and I totally recommend that they do because there's all kinds of things there for them to help them, but I think it's the anger still. And... uh You know, I can I totally understand it, and I can understand how people who aren't who weren't there, who aren't me, not understanding it, because there's stuff there that'll help them. But I have a lot of conversations with my buddies who are not part of the VFW, or they're not a part of anything, and most of it stems from their anger from you know 50 years ago. I'm going to a big event at Fort Lewis in October that's going to recognize Vietnam veterans. We're all going. I'm taking all my buddies. And uh, the Army's going to do a big deal, and I'm hoping that that has some healing involved for everybody. But my intent also is to make sure people understand that I'm a VFW Life member because um, I've forgiven some of those people, but those people are my people, and they're there to care for me. And so I think anybody who takes a step, just step out of your comfort zone and join the VFW and participate and let those people know who you are, man, you just, it's so much, it, there's so much good there. So.
0: Well, I you know, know a lot of a lot of veterans, when they come back, did have trouble with BFW, and uh, not only BFW, I think some of the others. So. Uh, we weren't
1: accepted, Gerald. I mean, it was like, yeah. for some reason, and, and nobody understood at the time. And this is the way I go. Vietnam was an experience like none other. And I think what happens is is that people were relating their time and their war, and not have any way of understanding what we were what we went through. Even today, though, I, I'm part of a couple of outreach programs for veterans coming home from this war, and we'll sit down and talk. And they'll look at me and they'll say, you know, what we did, as horrible as it was, was nothing like Vietnam. And I said, you bet it wasn't. You know, living well, in a hole for a year is is a tough. How do you explain to somebody that you lived underground for a year, so you wouldn't get shot? I mean, in mud. You know, it's it's the, the stuff, and I won't go into them. It's just that there's so much stuff. Um, you know, when when the when the best thing that happened to you the whole time you're in Vietnam was warm food, and it only happened a couple of times. People listen to that, and they go, well, that's not true. You're just making that up. But it no, was yeah, true. It well, no, and none of us are. And I think the thing that's interesting is that because they don't believe it's true, then they'll never understand. But the guys in my VFW all were there, and they understand because they lived it too. So you're in a safe environment with a bunch of people who, who have the same thing you want to do and who really want to talk. You know, Vietnam veterans... There's this misnomer that Vietnam veterans don't want to talk. That's not true. But Vietnam veterans want to talk to people who understand. What we don't want to do is spend our time talking to people, trying to convince them what we're telling them is the truth, because we don't care if they think it's the truth. What we're trying to do we, is trying to talk to them so that they can help us get through what we went through.
2: People have to understand back then, too, the political structure at, during the end of the Vietnam War uh, was really, really screwed up. You oh. know, you had people who wanted to end the war, and you had Jane Fonda running around accusing you guys of being baby killers, and her buddy John Kerry, I don't know, you know, with all that crap that went on. So you guys, it was a bad image, and it really it really focused on you guys. And it takes a while, years, to heal, because that whole whole situation was wrong, with the way that it was handled.
1: It takes years and, to heal if they want to heal, though.
2: Yeah. And that's our government's fault for doing that. That's not your guys. You guys do your job, you know, and uh, the political structure is one that needs some blame for that issue.
1: I had a guy one time I was at a party after I'd, I'd been home about 10 days. I was at a party and a bunch of my high school buddies said to me, they said, well, where have you been? I said, well, I joined the Marine Corps out of the high school. and I was been in Vietnam, you know, and stuff. And He said, when would you get back? I said, about 10 days ago, you know. And I was with some friends. And uh, I went and had another drink, you know, I was just sitting there having a drink, talking to my buddies, <clears throat> kind of not realizing I was home yet, you know. And the host of the party came over and said, Mike, I said, he says, I hear you just got back from Vietnam. And I said, yep, I did. He says, can I ask you to leave the party? I said, how come? And he says, well, because you're making people nervous. Oh, really? Oh, really. So all my friends yeah. and I looked at him and I we all left you know and, and i think the thing is what people didn't understand was that i wasn't going to do anything to hurt anybody i was just coming home but for whatever reason and there's plethora of them um wasn't comfortable for them but again that, you know you know i you know there's a greater story there's a woman right i have a biographer she's writing a book about me they called me and they said can we do a book and it's not just about the project it's about it, all of it and uh what i tried to explain to her is that i didn't scare people people told people i should be scary and uh, so they didn't take the time to figure it out and really all i cared about was you know and and many soldiers this this translates to today too though okay wasn't just then okay when i talk to soldiers now they just say i just need to know mike somebody cares you know, I'll be honest with you, I gave a speech down at Fort Lewis to the Marine Corps detachment that's there, I'd say four years ago. I talked to 45 people who had just gotten back from Iraq and Afghanistan, all Marines. When I got done, this guy comes out to me, a young Marine, just an incredible Marine, and he pulled me aside, and he, and he said, can I ask you a question? And he, I said, sure. And he says, he's from Rhode Island. He says, what does my town hate me? I looked at him. I said, "Pardon me." He says, "Why does my town hate me?" Now, I won't tell you what my initial response was, but just let me say that it was a Marine responding to another Marine using terminology that I picked up in boot camp. <laughs> <coughs> so you get the picture, right? You
2: dropped some put, bombs, huh? Yeah, then I pushed. Yeah, I
1: did, big time. And it was loud, even though he, we went out, off to someplace else in the room. They were loud. People were looking. Anyway, I put my arm around him and I said, "Look." And I think this is important, and I've told many Marines this. I've told many servicemen this. They don't hate you, but they don't understand you. I said, think about the people who you think hate you. These are guys you went to high school with who saw you join the Marine Corps and go to fight in a war multiple times because this guy hadn't done one tour. He'd done, like, four. Okay? Yep. And you went there. You fought the war. You did everything that they couldn't possibly do, and you survived, and now you're home. So they have two choices. They either treat you like you're the hero you are, or they hate you and demonize you so that they don't have to think about what they couldn't do. And what they've decided to do is the latter. I said, but all Vietnam guys had to do with that. Same stuff. I said, so the one thing you're going to need to understand is you're going to need to form some new friendships, just like we all did. And most of them will be people like me, and I gave them my phone number and contact information, or people like us who have a shared experience because they said the rest of them are they're envious as hell that you went there did what you did and survived and then I looked at them and I was trying to add a little levity and I said cuz you're a good-looking guy too and I said plus they're all nervous cuz the babes they're really happy you're home but I think the thing is is that you know you know the reality is there's a network Right now the network that I'm involved in is the Fallen Hero Portrait Project and uh, trying to tie all the families together, which we've done. And uh, we talk to each other and, you know, a lot of them ask questions. And now I've started doing Vietnam Vets. Some, now I, a few weeks ago we had the wall in a town just south of where I live and I was asked, asked to be a speaker there. And in the morning we presented two portraits, in the afternoon we presented two more. And the most incredible thing happened with portrait number four, the mother of the young man. Now, remember, this guy was my age when he died in Vietnam. So, you know, I'm 67, so she was, you know, he would have been 67. That puts her up near 90, right? Mm-hmm. The guy's sister wheels his mother up in the wheelchair to receive their portrait. And we're all standing there. We've named him. We've talked about him. I'm I'm holding the portrait. I'm going to present it to the mom. <clears throat> And she turns around and she says to her daughter, she said, I need to stand up to get this. I'm not going to receive this in this wheelchair. And so this mom stands up. And I don't think she stood up in a long time. She stood up to take her son's portrait. That's how much it meant to her. And then she gave me a big kiss and we hugged and et cetera. But it wasn't missed by the audience that even 50, almost 50 years later, this mother's love for her son was such that she needed to be standing to receive his portrait. Well, that's the kind of acceptance that I'm hoping that the guys who are coming home, men and women, who are coming home now um, <clears throat> are getting across the country. I'm hoping that's what's happening. doesn't always happen that way. Um, but I do make sure, I've, I've told you guys both this before, when I go through an airport and see somebody with a uniform on, I, I go out of my way to go over and just take their hand and say, thank you for your service. And I wear a hat so they know I'm a Vietnam vet, and they always say, thank you for yours. Um, I think that connection's important. That's the connection that was missing back in the 60s and 70s when we were all coming home. But it's not something we can allow to exist anymore, you know what I mean? But the VFW is a great crutch for that. The, the Veterans of Foreign War posts that are out there. Always remember, like <coughs> I said, most of them are being run by Vietnam vets now, and we all know what we need, and we're taking care of it. Uh, Mike, how does a person approach you when they need to get one of these uh,
2: when, they, when they need to get one of these drawings
1: done? First of all, let me put this out so people understand this. I do one free per family. It doesn't cost a penny. If they go to fallenheroesproject.org, and heroes is H-E-R-E-O-S, fallenheroesproject.org, you'll have both my uh, phone number and my email address. But my email address is M-I-K-I-E-R at comcast.net. And all you have to do is request it. What I will do is if you just tell me who the person is that I'm going to be drawing, And um, then I'll return that email connection to somebody with the information they need to get the portrait done, how to get me the photo to work from, and etc. I'm also on Facebook, Michael G. Regan, and I'm also on Facebook as Fallen Heroes Project. So you can get through me, you can get to me in any way, you know. You can call Gerald at home. He'll tell him how to get me, too. But it's like... um, it's really simple. In fact, you don't even have to be the person who calls me. Someone representing your family can call me. Um, or like the person I just did down in North Carolina I told you about. I was. I came out of Minnesota, the request. The only thing I do have to do, and it's sad, but I need to do this, I need to be sure that the person I'm drawing actually is a fallen hero. Um, I do get requests whether they're not, but that's just that's another story. So we do need to research and make sure that the person did this. Now, add to that, and this is really important, I do do free portraits of suicides of people who served in the war. We began this project 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, and the first thing I told my board was, I'm a Vietnam vet, I do understand the suicide issue. So if a person has committed suicide who served in this war, As far as I'm concerned, that's a war, Fallen Hero, and I will do their portrait for free. And once I'm done with the portrait, I shoot a digital photograph of it before I mail it to the family. I do supply digital photographs to the families so they can make reproductions. In fact, if you go out to the Fallen Hero Project, fallenheroesproject.org site, you'll see a gallery, and the gallery is set up with the drawings that I've done so that the families can click on the image in the gallery and it actually enlarges so they can pull it off and print it, do whatever they want to do with it other than political because we're not about politics. Just about love and respect this whole project.
2: That's good, I man, what you do. I tell you, it's uh that's an amazing thing you do for
1: folks. And, uh, you know, can I tell we, you an interesting? Can I tell you an interesting little story that happened not too long ago? Go ahead. Um, you remember the? There's a movie called The Hurt Locker. It's about an EOD group in Afghanistan and Iraq. And uh, during that movie, I was actually working with a unit, a similar unit in the war, an Army EOD unit, for a couple of years. We drew a lot of their soldiers who died. So when the battalion finally came home, I got a, re- a, re- a call from their battalion commander, Colonel Frank Davis. And he said, Mike, we'd like you to come and speak to our dinner, our banquet for the battalion coming home. And I said, I'd love to do that. So here I am down in Tacoma, Washington, outside of Fort Lewis, and I'm talking to a enti- huge room of people who had all just come back from the war. Huge room of heroes. And the families of some of the people I'd drawn were there. It was an incredible evening. And I gave my speech, and I kept telling them, you know, you got a Marine talking to the Army. I'm just kind of shocked that I'm here, you know, because there's a, you know, that's always a standing joke. <clears throat> and so I got done, and I knew they had a plaque for me, so I, you know, I kind of expected this plaque. And so Frank, Colonel Davis, came up, and he said, well, we have got this nice plaque, and they gave it to me, and I thanked everybody. And um, welcomed everybody home, and I was heading for my chair, and he says, wait a minute, we're not done yet. And they had somebody from the Pentagon there, and they had a couple of their officers, and then it got very official the whole evening. And what Frank did is he the Department of the Army gave me their community service medal, fourth highest-ranking medal a civilian can get from the Army. And what they had decided to do was give it to me for this project and so here I was standing up there with all the officials and they were actually pinning this incredible medal on me I just blown me away and I said to Frank I said are you sure I'm a marine man and he says not tonight tonight your army <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool
2: you should have said cut me some orders first
1: dude <laughs> no I didn't want any orders I've had those <laughs> I'm already home dude I don't want any more orders <laughs> and, uh, you know what I mean? Let me so, give you a
2: little story about a Vietnam vet buddy of mine, my best friend. He uh, was over in Vietnam, and his group was out in the bush, and uh, they were they were told to dig in because looks like the B-52s came over and dropped a bunch of daisy cutters real close to them. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they had said he had to dig and dig and dig, and uh, he got out and after the bomb was over, and Tripped over and stepped in a hole and had them little punji sticks in it, mm-hmm. and uh, one went through his foot. So he went to the to the I guess to the base the base medic, and uh, they had to you know put him in the hospital and give him antibiotics and things like that because the junk was on the stick and
1: human excrement.
2: Yeah, and uh, the cool thing about it was though after they worked on him there they took X rays of his foot and the X ray technician at the uh, at the base, and, uh ETS out, and uh, they had nobody there to do X-rays. And uh, he told me, "So I'm a certified X-ray tech." <laughs> they cut him orders and transferred him right there on
1: the spot, <laughs> and they kept him there. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, they kept him there. He got lucky, didn't he? <laughs> well, yeah. The uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's you know that's another. I mean, because he's your best friend, you've heard a lot of stuff. Uh, it's the, <clears throat> you know. The stuff around incoming is the is what hell's made of.
2: I tell you what, he won't talk to his family much and things, but he'll talk to me, and
1: that's Why you I that. that Why kind of, do you think that is?
2: Uh, because I'm because I'm another veteran, and uh, you know we have a camaraderie, and uh, you know we you know we kind of trust each other. I mean, we've been friends for got 25 years, and it's just a we uh, you know we used to fish eight, ten, twelve hours a day
1: together. So you're not judgmental. You're no, not the not person who's going to look at him and say, "You've got to get over this." Yep. you know how horrible that is to people when they're trying to tell you something that's so important to them and it's such a part of their life, and they're never going to get over it. <clears throat> they just have to as if a person one time said to me, "You don't live with you don't get over it, you just learn to live with it. Yeah. See if you're the person who who understands that, then he's free to talk to you." the Last thing in the world, and you worry about this telling somebody's story, and then him say, Man, you got to get over it, it's been 50 years, and you kind of want to look at him. Well, I can't say what you say, but you look at him and say, That's not possible. What I got to learn to do is live with it. You're allowing him to live with it,
2: he uh, has to deal with it. So, you know, best
1: he's best friend's hug pretty- too, I bet, right?
2: That's right,
1: that's it, dude. That's
2: right, especially when you catch a nine pound largemouth. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, bass. I can understand
2: that, yeah? Mm, all right. Listen little guys, bass, bass and
1: beer, the two Bs.
2: That's right, bass and beer, and buddies. <laughs> That's it. Uh, we're totally out of time, guys. We need to go ahead and cut this Thank you off. For,
1: Mike, we... Thank you for being patient with me being late this morning. I appreciate that a lot. Well, you wasn't late. We were just early. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I can see why he loves you, man. All right, brother. But, Thank you, uh, boy, for very you... much. You Thank keep you doing what
0: you're doing, on, All
1: right, man. We'll talk to you guys later. Okay.
0: Hope to get you back on here, maybe a little bit sooner than next time.
1: There you go. All right. <laughs> See you later. Okay, all right, Mike. You. all right, man. Bye. Bye. You've
2: been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of hadit.com, blog talk radio, and the Ask Bachelor Show.